1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number uh, 25. Some preached in my life and ministry, and frankly, that's saying a whole lot. Uh, I'll do that Sunday. And what I'm going to be asking you to do Sunday is to make a commitment. I need 120 people at least to make a commitment to pray for my family and me every day. Uh, I'm nervous about doing that because I don't like to distinguish myself from the staff and uh, like to just be one of the brothers and uh, in all as far as a ministerial staff is concerned just really one of the members as far as our church is concerned but um, some pastors uh, conferences and seminars and books have convinced me to go ahead and do this because when the pastor's blessed and everyone else gets blessed uh, because frankly the church is under my ministry, and um, I'm, I'm at the head of the pack, and I've got to lead that way. So uh, in any case, uh, if uh, that is on your heart, I'd love for you to join me Sunday to, uh, to do that. Now tonight, I want to use the same shell casing uh, that I used last Wednesday night, but I've got different powder uh, and, or buckshot, whatever the case may be, uh, this evening. So I'm going to follow about the same outline I did last week. But I've got some other things to say to you about prayer from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 25. If you'll read carefully the book of 1 Thessalonians and then the account of that in Acts chapter 17, you're going to find that the Apostle Paul <clears throat> planted that church in Thessalonica and something remarkable happened there. Uh, there was revival and revolt. And that always happened where Paul went someplace. There was a mighty movement of God and there was a counter movement of the devil uh, through oftentimes those in the synagogue. But that's where the fruit came from as well. It does remind me of what one uh, bishop of the Church of England said. He said, when Paul went someplace, there was revival and revolt. When I go someplace, they just serve tea. And he was making the point, we need the hand of God on us. And we, we might have to stir some things up sometimes if we're going to be faithful to him. And that's what Paul did. Now, he did such a great job at Thessalonica, he got ran out to Berea. And uh, the way Paul knew he had a good Sunday was to count his bandages on Monday. And that's what took place with him. But Paul uh, planted that church in Thessalonica. And that church did so well with uh, Paul's leadership and uh, the root that he planted there that it covered up the area uh, around them to where Paul had no more need to return and do any more ministry. And that's what he says in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Because the story of how the Thessalonians turned from idols to the living God was told all throughout the region and the area. Wouldn't it be something if there was no more need for any preachers? Now think about it. George Beverly Shea and Billy Graham were at uh, Shea's uh, 100th uh, birthday celebration. And uh, uh, they were talking to each other, being interviewed. And uh, uh, George Beverly Shea looked at Billy Graham. He said, now when we get to heaven, I'm going to be singing, but you are going to be out of a job. There's no preaching in heaven. There's no need. There's exaltation of the Lord, but there's no need for any more instruction. Can you imagine that the northeast Georgia region, our region here, becomes so covered up with the gospel of Christ, pastors no longer have to preach and teach. We would, we would just spend hour upon hour worshiping and exalting 
the Lord. Everyone's been converted. Everyone's walking with God. That There's no need for any more instruction. That is what was similar to that in the region of Thessalonica. That's how well Paul did there. Paul was a master at planning a church and getting it moving and doing what it needed to do. And he goes through the letter of 1 Thessalonians, not only with that encouragement, but many others. So his work was sterling, it was effective, it was powerful, it gave the devil a black eye every time he turned around, and yet, nevertheless, he still says, verse number 25 of 1 Thessalonians 5, Brethren, pray for us. Despite his erudition, despite his learning, despite his power, despite his ability, despite his experience, despite his background, despite his reputation, Paul still said, verse 25, Brethren, pray for us. Any wise man of God that has had a movement of God in his life and ministry that wants it to expand exponentially or even maintain will say the same thing. Brethren, pray for us. So I want us to look at four topics tonight related to that. One is the attraction to prayer. Why is prayer attractive? Well, prayer reaches to the power. A.C. Dixon said, if we look to organization, we get what organization can do. If we look to education, we get what education can do. If we look to eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. Now, I'm not opposed to these things, he said, if they're kept in their proper place. But when we look to God, we get what God can do. And that, more than anything else, is what we need. May I say to you, when lost people walk into this facility and they hear the gospel of Christ, it's not education that's going to win them. It's not eloquence that's going to win them. In fact, those things could repel them. It's not going to be organization that's going to win them. What raises the dead is the power of God. And please, don't think I'm exaggerating. Every time somebody is saved, you are witnessing the initial act of God in raising the dead. He raises their dead spirit, and that will culminate one day in the resurrection of the body. But that we are dead in trespasses and sins, and salvation in Jesus Christ raises them. So make no mistake about it. We are not in the business of making good, bad people good. We're in the business of making dead people live, and only the power of God can accomplish that. Prayer reaches that. Prayer reaches that. But there's a second reason it's attractive, and that is uh, prayer reaches around children. It reaches around. It embraces the children. It puts them in a hedge of protection. I cannot be with my children at all times, but demons can. And so can God. Now, because of that, because of that, I want to surround them with prayer, and I need some help with it. I, pray, I prayed uh, for my children before they were converted that they would be converted early in age, that they would know what it's like to walk with Jesus. It wouldn't have to go through the elementary school years and go through the middle school and high school years without the Lord Jesus. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he said, And from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. Second thing I want to, to pray is, uh, and need us to pray, is that they'll hate sin. That they'll just have a visceral hatred for sin and temptation that comes their way. Psalms 97.10 says, all you who love the Lord hate sin. Then Psalms 119 verse 71 is a third thing I want to pray, and that is if they sin, they get caught. 
Pray that for yours as well. Worst thing in the world for a child is to dwell and live in sin and never get caught. may be embarrassing. It may be. But it's one of the best things in the world to ever happen. Psalms 119.71 says, It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I learned your statutes. Third, uh, fourth, protection from evil people. I'm very grateful that my children have chosen really, really good friends that are seeking the Lord, but we want that to be always and forever. Proverbs 13, 20 says that um, he who dwells with the wise shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall suffer destruction. Then that they will respect authority. They'll live out the spirit and the intent of Romans 13. Then I pray for their future mate and their purity, that uh, they'll love God, they'll pursue him so much so that it will show up in their dating life, their courtship, and their marriage. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, uh, do not be unequally yoked, be ye separate from them, says the Lord. And then that they will seek wisdom, number seven. Uh, Proverbs 2 verses 1 through 5 has some very large, intense terms about seeking wisdom and crying out for discernment. And I want them to do that constantly. So the decisions they make are in the will and wisdom of God. So prayer reaches around children. Every one of these is a possibility if we'll join together in prayer. Then, because prayer reaches around the believer. Psalm 61, 2, David says, from the ends of the earth, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In other words, God, I've got enemies pursuing me. My heart's overwhelmed. I need to get to the top of this rock, but it's higher than I. It's beyond my reach. I cannot get there on my own. It's higher than I am. Did you know God specializes in lifting people higher than they can reach on their own? He does. And he can do that with any person and every person here. God, beyond what I deserve, lift me higher. There was a visitor to a Buddhist temple in China that noticed a prayer custom there amongst the Buddhist worshipers and devotees. They would write down a prayer request on a small piece of paper, crumble it up, um, put it somehow through a mixture, a mud-like mixture, wad it up and toss it at the idol in hopes that it would stick. Someone asked someone there, why did they do that? They said, if it sticks, that means the God has accepted the prayer. If it bounces off, he's rejected it. Who in the world would ever want a faith like that? Depending upon where your prayers depend upon your ability to toss a mud ball exactly right. To stick to a hardened idol. I mean, that's enough to turn you away from it, isn't it? But that's precisely what they were doing. Now, some of us are not too much different. Sometimes we pray in Jesus' name and it's merely words. And oftentimes people don't understand what they're praying. Ron Dunn said one time, that um, he had such a busy day that he had no time to pray and read his Bible during the day. So he got to the house at night after a very busy day, and he began to pray, and he said, Lord, I have no right to approach you. And the Lord stopped him right there, he said. And he felt like the Lord spoke to his heart and said, well, listen, what if you had read your Bible four hours today and prayed four hours and led ten people to the Lord? Would you feel better about coming to me? He said, well, yes. And he said, the Lord told him, then you're praying in your name. You're not praying in mine. And if you had read your Bible eight hours today, and if you read your Bible 
uh, prayed eight hours today. And if you had led a hundred people to the Lord, you would be no more worthy to approach me now than if you hadn't done it at all. We go by the merits of Jesus Christ. We get there because he has paved the way with his blood. So prayer reaches under the believer. That's why it's attractive. Well, that's the attraction of prayer. But I want you to look at the attack on prayer. Back in Luke 22, 31 and 32, before Jesus was crucified, the night before, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has requested to sift you. He wants to put you through a sifter. He wants to tear you to pieces. When you return, he says, but I have prayed for you. When you return, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knew what he would do. And he predicted Peter's denial of him. He said, so Satan's requested to sift you, but I have prayed for you. In other words, Jesus' antidote against the work of Satan and the lives of God's people and leaders like Peter was to pray for them. If that was good enough for Jesus, I dare say it is good enough for the rest of us. Satan then is terribly intimidated by prayer. He will do everything he can to distract, to reduce, to abridge, to hinder prayer any way that he can. So when you pray, when you're asking God to do something in someone else's life, especially the pastor of the church, do not expect it to be an easy thing. The ugliest thoughts will come into your mind when you're praying for that. Old wounds will be surfaced to distract your attention. You're going to have a harder time praying for this one thing than just about anything in the world other than lost people. Because if God hears you, Satan is defeated. And one fellow said, the only reason we have trouble with prayer is is that there's a devil. If there were no devil, there'd be no trouble with prayer. Of course, you and I both know people that figure out a way to have a problem with it. But uh, that's led one person to say, Satan laughs at our toiling. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And that's why I like that piece of poetry I've quoted several times uh, through the years about the power of even the weakest Christian among us praying and seeking God. Uh, the, 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 The piece of poetry says, Satan trembles when he sees even the weakest saint upon his knees. The weakest child of God amongst us is more powerful than demonic hosts when he or she is on the knee pleading with God in faith, in prayer. The attack on prayer. Then the ambition for prayer. Be ambitious. Pray with an ambitious heart. Psalms 105 verse 4. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face forevermore. So God is always available. God's Help in a time of trouble is always available. God's eagerness to fulfill promises is always available. God's love, grace, and forgiveness, always available. So it says, seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. So forevermore, you will never find a moment when you cannot draw near unto God. There will never be a moment when the strength of God is 
not available to you. Never a moment in Jesus Christ where you are excluded from the power and the grace and the help of Almighty God. So seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. Be ambitious in it. Be ambitious with an ambitious heart, but be ambitious in your request as well. Um, Joshua asked the Lord to make the sun stop its rotation. Now, don't y'all do that, okay? You're going to mess up the cosmos, all right? So you let Joshua and God handle that. But um, it, it happened. He called on God, and he did it. Um, there was a Baptist preacher who was teaching at a university in Philadelphia who was preaching the chapel service of a smaller Christian university in town. And he met with some students to pray right before the chapel service. And they had him come into a circle and get on his knees before God, and they laid hands on him. And he's real dramatic how he tells the story. He's, 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 he's real dramatic how he tells it. And so they're praying for him, and they're pleading with God. And they're getting rather animated and intense about their request. And one fellow gets real specific. He says, and oh, God, oh, God, you know Freddie, my next-door neighbor. God, you know him. He, he lives at 105 Smith Street here in Philly. And, and God, he... He, Lord, he left his wife. He left her behind. And, and she, he, she's got the, these three kids. They're three children. And, and they're struggling. And Lord, he's chasing the God, bring him back home and turn his heart back to God. Well, this fellow gets up and preaches the chapel service. And he greets a few people afterwards. And then he gets into his car and he leaves. And he did something unusual driving uh, back to his campus. He picked up a hitchhiker. The guy gets in the car. He doesn't usually do this, but the guy gets in the car and he introduces himself. He says, tell me your name. He says, my name is Freddie. He said, I bet you live at 105 Smith Street. And the guy plasters himself up against the window. He said, the other day you left your wife and kids. You need to go back home. And he said, how did you know? He said, God told me. And he did. Pray specifically. Pray specifically. That's going to make your request ambitious, and that's going to articulate your faith and express your faith in Him. So ambition for prayer. Then affection for prayer. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14, is, um, I guess, a verse that a few years ago, uh, from 2002 to 2013, I would quote two or three dozen times, a year in messages, but in verse 14 it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask, so your prayers can be confident, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. That's what it says. Ask in His will, and you will have the petitions that you have requested. So to pray effectively, we've got to want what God wants. And we find that in His Word. When we tell God, all that mine is yours, God says, all that's mine is yours. And that's how He does it. Augustine prayed and said, O God, Grant that I may do your will as if it were my will, so that you may do my will 
as if it were your will. I think he's right. John Bazzano said, when your preeminent priority is him, his preeminent priority is you. And that's why we have gotten on the point a number of years ago and stayed on it to pray as you read the scripture and plead with God to do what is there. Let me ask you something. Is there any better set of thoughts for our world or lives than what you find in the word of God? Is there anything better? Now, I know that there are some prayer needs not necessarily addressed specifically there, and you can get specific and ask Freddie to go back home to 105 Smith Street. That's entirely appropriate. But what you learn is that God, God wants things like that to happen. And so you think through the Word, and then you expand your thinking through your relationships, through the news that you watch or that you read, in every facet of life. And I want to tell you, you start doing that, and you're going to spend more than five or ten minutes in prayer, which is the average prayer life of the average Southern Baptist and Southern Baptist pastor, respectively. You're not going to find it hard to be spending 30 minutes in an hour, eventually, in prayer seeking God. Now, I don't want to keep a, a, a time, uh, I don't want to set a time for your prayers, But ladies and gentlemen, the kind of praying we're doing, have you noticed things are not improving in our culture and society? I think God wants to part the Red Sea and get his people to the other side. I think God wants Goliath to fall. I think God wants to build a holy temple that is the focus and the praise of all the earth in the midst of wickedness. I think God, I think God wants to convert and save everyone. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. I think that as we're meeting some Sunday mornings, he wants some of these cars passing nonchalantly in front of this building to get the drivers of those cars to get an impression just to pull into the parking lot, park up on the grass, run in here and say, what must I do to be saved? I've seen that happen. It's time for it to happen in this place. Let's commit ourselves to it. You be thinking about Sunday and ask God to bless us and strengthen us as we commit to pray. Father, thank you for hearing us and thank you for, Lord, the unblocked.